0: And uh, we will abbreviate the length of the message since we're running a little bit late. I don't know if that's going to keep anybody here, but it was worth a try. All right, 1 Peter. This is the second to last installation on this um, wonderful epistle, uh, one of the general epistles of Peter. We'll be looking today at at chapter 5, verses 5 to 7. So, I will read the text in just a second. But Peter has been writing to a persecuted people, a people that are suffering the immediate context for the last few weeks. Chapter 4, verse 12, Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal among you, which comes upon you for your testing as though some strange thing were happening to you. And then again in verse 19, Therefore those who suffer according to the will of God shall entrust their souls to a faithful Creator, In doing what is right. And then Deepu last week took up that section um, in regards to the elders, the exhortation to elders to shepherd the flock, to feed them, to care for them, to nurture them, to look out for their souls, and not to have the wrong motives, not for uh, not under compulsion and and not as for sordid gain. Now today Peter shifts here and we're going to be talking about anxiety. Humility and submission. And I think this is a very tightly um, knitted together section here that we're going to consider in just a moment. But countless Christians struggle with depression and anxiety and being anxious. There are many. This is not just those that are in the world that struggle with this. Christians can struggle with that as well. And depression often comes from the guilt of carrying. All of these burdens and having to have it on our own shoulder rather than casting those upon the Lord and trusting in Him. One man said, I love this quote, Anxiety never strengthens you for tomorrow. It only weakens you for today. See, Anxiety doesn't strength. It's not as though if you're anxious today about tomorrow, that somehow you're going to have added strength. It only weakens you in the here and now. Peter, several times through the epistle, has launched into several imperatives, and this is one of them. There's going to be a series of commands that he gives us, beginning uh, in verse 5. So, let's read the text. And for the sake of time, I'm only going to read verses 5 to 7. You younger men, likewise be subject to your elders, and all of you clothe yourselves with humility toward one another. For God is opposed to the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Therefore, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you at the proper time, casting all your anxiety on him, because he cares for you. Some of the most precious words in all the scripture. I've used these verses in counseling multiple times. So first of all, verse 5a, three points, Verse 5a the need for submission. Now, there's a question right off the bat, an interpretive question we need to ask ourselves um, here. When it says, you younger men likewise be subject to your elders, now, what does that mean? Does that mean it's it's the word presbyteros, okay, which is the word for elder in the church, but it also can mean older people. So what is he exhorting here? Certainly, the congregation and especially young men ought to respect those who are older. That's a general premise. There's a general respect that, that is to be given here. Um, Peter uses this term likewise. It's actually translated in the same way in chapter three, we'll look at it in a moment. He uses it twice there and once here. But the idea is that there's a change of focus from one group to another. Okay? And so, what is this referring to? Is it referring to the elders of which he just spoke with, which in that context obviously is speaking of the office in the church, or is he speaking of older people? There's good men on both sides of this. um, and I don't think there's a wrong answer, I'll say that, but what's Peter's intent? Because the premise is true for both. You respect elders in the church, you respect older people. Both of those are true, but what is he What's Peter's intent here? Yes, Chris? To respect them in terms of like the Christians law and it could be mice. Okay. Alright. So the so just older people in general is what you're saying. Okay. Deepu? Seems to be contrasting younger with older. Yes. That leads me to believe that's probably speaking in general. In general, okay. Stop looking at my notes. <laughs> so okay. Yes, okay. Any others want to? Rob? Well, also play on words because elders generally were older men than they mm-hmm. began with. And so he's using elders as well as elders. Older men as well as the office of the eldership should be respected within the church. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and again, this is. You know, it's almost as though I think this section 5A, this first line of five, should be tucked in with one to four up above. Um, but I, I think there's strong evidence to actually point to. He actually is thinking of elders, but I don't think it's wrong to, to say in general, too. I mean, what, what, I'd like us to consider both of those and what that looks like. Melvin, did you want to say something? Yeah, that was, that was my initial question. Is, is it referring to the elders who are the leaders of the church or to the older? And, and that's right. And I think it's both of those. So, um, but I think there's strong evidence that it's pointing to elders as an office. Um, let's turn back to chapter 3. Because he begins, verse 5, with, you younger men, likewise. Okay, And look in chapter 3 and verse 1. So the context is submission to authority, Submission, uh, verse 13, to um, every human institution. Submission, again, Christ is our example in three one. In the same way, it's the same Greek word, just translated differently. You wives, be submissive to your husbands. Now look down in verse 7. See, the in, in the same way, again, is you husbands, in the same way or likewise, live with your wives in an understanding way it seems to be connecting verse 7 of chapter 3 to verses 1 to 6 of chapter 3. In other words, the six verses in regards to wives, the husband is definitely connected to that. And so here, when he uses it back in our text, five five, I think unless the context has changed dramatically, um, that it should probably be connected with the previous verses. As we'll see, there, it, when it begins after elders... When it begins in the middle of verse 5, and all of you clothe yourselves with humility, he's beginning a new thought there. Uh, More of a new thought, I think. So, just as shepherds are to submit to the chief shepherds, so the flock are to submit to the under-shepherds. The word here for submit, or to be subject to, is to obey, to line up under, it's the typical word for submission. Submission is a fundamental quality of all Christians, though. right? It's a quality that, that should be within us. I've already mentioned the, the, back in chapter 2 several times, Peter's emphasized this by commanding them to submit to employers and uh, civil authorities, to submit within the context of marriage. And so it is the status quo for the Christian life. But here the submission um, were to be submissive to all authority, but especially those who are called to lead over the church. Um, Anyway, but also, what Deepu started to allude to, even in a general sense, younger people tend to be more, they can be, not always, more arrogant, more aggressive. And so they need this reminder to be submissive to the elders, to be submissive to those who are older. They can be hard-headed. Can you think of an example um, in current events around the world right now where we see... Young people being hard-headed and arrogant this past week in the news. Yes, we are. What's going on in London, Rob? Are they respecting the older authorities and the police department? No. There's, there's no submission whatsoever, right? And, and so it's a, it's a good snapshot of what this aggression and, uh, looks like and this hard-headedness. Um, you see it also even closer to home. Just in general, young people can treat older people very harshly, very cruelly. And it's, just, it's, a, it's a sad but a common problem here. So brothers and sisters, it is an attitude of submission that leads us to spiritual growth. Submission permeates Scripture. We submit to God, we submit to one another in the fear of the Lord. We spend a whole chunk in Ephesians 5 on that very topic. Secondly, are you humble? Now, here, when it says, now, in all of you, clothe yourselves with humility towards one another, for God is opposed to the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Therefore, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you, in proper time. So verse 5b to 6 is our second point. Um, this is where I think a new verse should begin. That last little phrase I just considered, probably, which should be tucked with verse 5, and, and in fact, the ESV and the NET, New English Translation, actually have a period there. Um, there were no periods in the original. It's as re- it interpretive decisions. And so, there would be a period, you younger men likewise be subject to your elders, period. Now, all of you clothe yourselves um, with humility. Peter has moved from a discussion of specific relationships within the church to a more general application of interpersonal relationships. And he commands us to clothe ourselves with humility. Now who is addressed here? Is it some people? Who is it? Everyone, right? Because it says and all of you now, that's any of you who are left. All of you. <laughs> Clothe yourselves with humility. Now, humility is that state of mind of which there's a deep sense of one's littleness, a modesty, a humility, a lowliness of mind. Um, think of Philippians 3, 2 and verse 3. Do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit, but with humility of mind, regard one another as more important than yourselves. This attitude... Simply put, puts others first and their concerns first. This is a key marriage that you learn in marriage. A key key marriage, a key verse that you learn in marriage. Yeah, it's late. A, a, A key verse that you learn in marriage because you need to remind yourself with this. To put others' needs is more important than yourself. So it's an attitude that puts others first. The psalmist says he leads the humble in justice and he teaches the humble his way. We tend to overestimate ourselves, don't we? As we catalog the events of a past week and we think of all these great things that we've done in the Lord and all the great gospel conversations I've had with my children and Lord, you just must be so pleased with it, right? That's rank pride. We're nothing. Humility, true biblical humility is the hallmark of the Christian life and Christian living. Prophet Micah, he has told you, O man, what is good, and what does the Lord require of you? To do justice, to love kindness, and to walk humbly with your God. It was Augustine that said, this is another great quote, It was pride that changed angels into devils. It was humility that makes men into angels. You see that, that rescues men from sin. But it's pride that really made angels into devils. So, he's, what's he telling us to do here? We've defined humility towards one another, but what are we to do with it in the text? Clothe ourselves. I don't have a jacket today, <laughs> middle of summer, but to clothe ourselves with humility. Right? What, what, is, what, what is that picture? What comes to mind? Think in the Gospels. Of what is Peter What is Peter quite likely thinking of as he pens these very words? You got it. Say it louder. Jesus washing the feet. That was a picture of humility, donning a servant's apron. And it literally means to to do that. And so, to to put on something like that, a slave's apron. And so we see, we don't have time to turn to, to John 13, but what a beautiful picture there that when Jesus girds himself with a towel and he's teaching the disciples these vital lessons, Peter in particular, there was a lesson of humility given there. The picture that this word gives is like laying aside your own garments and putting on a slave's apron and then serving others. Now, according to the text here, what's the reason we're given? to put on humility. We're commanded, that's an imperative, clothe yourselves with humility towards one another. Does he give us a reason? Do we, do we need a reason? <laughs> yes, because God hates the proud. Yes, I'm saying hate because there's other verses that does say that. He opposes the proud here because he's quoting the Old Testament. And this is a quote from Proverbs 3 and verse 34. God is opposed to the proud but gives grace to the humble. So the reason we're to do this is because God is opposed to it. The Old Testament scriptures testify to that. And so that's the motivation. Uh, James 4.6 quotes that same verse. We won't turn there. Philippians 2 and verse 5, have this attitude in yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus. Though he existed in the form of God, he did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he what? Emptied himself, taking the form of a bond servant. There you have it again. God hates pride. Proverbs six sixteen, where it says these six things I hate. What's the first thing that's listed? A haughty spirit, right, which is a synonym for pride. Proverbs eight and verse thirteen: The fear of the Lord is to hate evil, pride and arrogance in the evil way, and the perverted mouth I hate. Proud people, what is their concern? Is there concern for the glory of God? It's the exact opposite, isn't it? It's the glory of when you are proud, when you're thinking yourself to be so good, you want to put yourself in the spotlight. Where's the limelight? Look at me, you know, and to exalt self. Proud people do not seek the glory of God. They seek the glory of themselves. We do well to remember the prophet Isaiah when it says, For thus says the high and exalted one, who lives forever and whose name is holy. So okay, this is the holy one. He's eternal and he's altogether holy. What does he say? Away from me, you wretched sinner. You'll never come into my presence. No. This is what he says. Listen. This is beautiful. I dwell on a high and holy place, but also with the contrite and lowly of spirit in order to revive the spirit of the lowly and to revive the heart of the contrite. This is the High and Holy One. He dwells in a holy place, but yet he also dwells with those who are contrite of heart. Beautiful verse. Now when it says that, therefore humble yourselves, again, under the mighty hand of God, what comes to mind when you think of mighty hand of God? Humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God. I think he's talking about the providence of God. At this point, God determines that something will be, and we can either be anxious about it or yes. humble ourselves and realize this is what God has for us. Yeah, exactly right. So it's it's his mighty hand of Sovereignty and providence in which no one can stay his hand, it says in the scriptures. So, what's going on to humble yourselves under his mighty hand, under what he is doing? It's God's sovereignty at work in the world and in the lives of his people. So, during times of deliverance, times of chastisement, times of discouragement, we know that he is there. Times of even suffering and persecution. Of course, the therefore in verse 6 connects 5b to verse 6, so that's why I'm taking them together as a unit. Now, moving on quickly, it says, That he may exalt you at the proper time. And here's a purpose clause. So we're to humble ourselves into the mighty hand of God. Why? That he may exalt you at the proper time. When is the proper time? When he, who sees fit? Okay, so right, and that's part of humbling yourself under his hand, right? What else? There's some that would say there's an eschatological view here that he'll, when he exalts us, to take us to heaven and so forth. I don't see that in the text. I just wanted to clarify that because I had to wrestle with that question. But the idea here is literally just-in-time or um, a timely Um, deliverance and so the idea here is that that he may exalt you at the proper time at just the proper time as Chris said as he sees fit to accomplish his purposes you know Yes. I right. think doesn't make you want to That's exactly right. So it's not something... And that. Well, I don't want to jump too far ahead, but I'm going to touch on that again. But thank you very much, Joseph, again. Uh, all these biblical examples, personal examples that we know of, where people are not seeking glory for themselves, but they're seeking to glorify God even in the dirt and in the ditches, and yet God exalts them at the perfect time. So, what does this look like when he exalts? Well, increased blessings, deeper fellowship with God, and ease of the circumstances of trials. Um, Let's face it, I mean, in the midst of trials, there is a tendency to um, want to give up, to want to... Say, forget it. What's the use? To lose strength, to lose courage. And we need the promises to continue to persevere. James 4.10, humble yourselves in the presence of the Lord, and he will exalt you. J.C. Ryle uh, said this, all the care in the world will not make us continue a minute beyond the time God has appointed. You Think of it all, the worry, all the difficulty, in the, in the midst of your trial... All of the care in the world will not cause you to continue a minute beyond God's appointed time. So both Peter and James exhorts us to humility so that we may be exalted. And this gets back to what Nina was saying. Neither is advocating a merit system. Let me just let me flesh this out. That, oh, I'm just going to be so humble because I'm, just, I'm looking forward to being exalted by God and I know He's going to exalt me and put me on the grand stage or whatever. It's never that motive. As Nina touched on it already, it's that the person, when they're going through the lowly circumstances, doesn't even look ahead to that. They're just trusting God in the midst of what's happening. It's not as though God is a brownie point system, and Rob, you've got three humility brownie points. When you get 100, we're going to exalt you, okay? It's not like that at all. In fact, it's the very opposite, because if you think like that, that is a false humility. Yes? Yes? Yeah, and you think of so many that, that die an untimely yeah. death, the martyrs, and so forth. Christopher Love, 33, off with the head for a false accusation of trying to bring Charles II back into England. You know, these kinds of stories are there. So yes, it's not only in this life, but it, it isn't referring to the second coming of Christ. But you're right, sometimes that final exaltation, or at least a greater manifestation of that exaltation, will come when we see him face to face and to differing degrees, depending on God's providence. Thank you for bringing that up. Chapter 5 and verse 10, After you have suffered for a little while, the God of all grace, who called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself perfect, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. That's Rob's text for next week, But uh, uh, these following verses. But those words are packed, and that is a precious, precious verse. Um, for sure. So, in a real way, humility helps us to submit to authorities, going back, you know, looking in the previous verse, but also to be able to cast our cares upon him. God never forsakes his own. This is my father's world, oh, let me never forget the simple hymn says. So if you are proud and arrogant, rebellious to God, working in your life, you could be waiting for some time for this exaltation. Jesus himself said, everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but he who humbles himself will be exalted. So we've seen submission, we've seen humility, and now finally, do you have complete trust in the Lord? Casting your anxiety upon him. So very much connected to verse 5b and 6 is verse 7. Casting all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. This is not a new sentence. This is further modifying the command and telling you how to fulfill the command. How do you clothe yourself? With humility. This is one of the ways. You're casting your anxiety upon him. What is the key to enduring and finding strength in trials? According to this verse, it's a confident trust in our our God that he's working all these things out. It's a confident trust that he really does care for me and that I can cast this anxiety to him, trusting that he is going to work it out for good and for his greater purposes. Peter, no doubt, in verse 7, has this verse in mind from Psalm 55, verse 22, "'Cast your burden upon the Lord, and he will sustain you, and he will never allow the righteous to be shaken.'" This word, casting, uh, literally means to propel something, as though I was to throw a book or something across, you know, to propel something. It's the very word that's used um, as they put the garments on the donkey so that he could sit on the donkey in the triumphal entry. That's the only other time the word occurs in a literal sense. But figuratively, as it's used here, it's to cast our concerns. Just as you would throw a jacket or throw a book, cast your concerns, your anxieties, to the lord and casting here as i said it already it modifies humbling yourselves and so it they're very much connected and, and it's the key and the cure for anxiety is to humble yourself and to cast your cares upon the lord the word for anxiety worry care it's the same word that's used in the uh, sermon or the parable of the soils in Mark's version, where it talks about the thorny ground here that chokes out the word, and he, there's three things, but one of them is the care for other things in this world. It's the, the worry about those things in the world. The worries of this world choke out the word. What kind of cares should you cast upon the Lord? What kind of concerns? What have you cast upon the Lord? What should you cast upon the Lord? What do you struggle with casting upon the Lord? Multi-loaded question to get people to talk. That's salvation of our children. Of our children. Yeah, that can be a that can that can be a heavy weight. You know, we we labor for years seeking to train them, and there's yet to be a profession, and we begin to question and wonder: Are we doing what's right? And and ultimately, we know it's up to the Lord. We're to be faithful to do what we're supposed to do, but ultimately, it's up to the Lord. What else? Health issues? Absolutely. Especially those that are completely out of our, um, out of our reach, right? Out of, of anything that we can do. Others? So, financial concerns. The Dow, the sure the <laughs> <is falling> <laughs> well, when it's moving uh, with such wild swings, uh, <laughs> yeah, but you're right. Yeah, just being concerned about that financially, jobs, people that are without jobs. Jessica? Okay, so that's kind of a, flesh that out a little bit. Right. Yeah, and that's, like, there was a ring, a worldwide ring, uh, I don't want to go too deep into this, but a pornographic ring uh, that, that focused on children's pornographic images and movies and this elite club from all these different countries. There was a huge bust. You hear about stuff like that, and your blood boils, and you think, wow, maybe I know something of righteous anger, <laughs> because you, you're vehement. How anybody would would treat children like that, and infants, and it's just absolutely grievous, and yet it is around us. Sometimes we question, if God's so sovereign, why does he allow those horrible things to happen? And the reality is, we don't have all the answers. We can cast our pain, our despair, our sufferings, our lack of contentment upon the Lord, and and all of our discouragements that come. Sometimes throughout the course of a week, there's several setbacks and discouragements that we have. And we can allow those to weigh us down and to really trip us up and affect our work, affect your interaction with your children, and all of these things. Or you can deal with that quickly, pray before the Lord, and then cast it upon the Lord and let it go. Well, the very last phrase as we wind up here. Casting all your anxiety on him. Very precious words. I really wanted to do more with this because he cares for you. You know, those words are so simple, but so profound. Humble yourselves under his mighty hand. He's opposed to the proud, he gives grace to the humble. Humble yourselves under his hand of providence, he will exalt you in due time. And one of the keys is casting all of your anxiety upon Him because He cares for you. Because He loves you. God Himself cares for all of our needs. The, Matthew 6, you know, the birds of the air, the lilies of the field, if He cares for all of these, how much more you? How much more does He care for the deepest, unspeakable needs that we have and that we wrestle with when in our own minds throughout the course of a day and a week? You see, This is what separates biblical Christianity from all the other religions in the world. That the deity that we serve actually loves us, cares for us, and provides for us. Do you see that? Every other religion in the world, it's a fear. It's motivated by fear and performance and works and those kinds of things. It separates us from other religions. Isaiah 26.4, Trust in the Lord forever For in God the Lord we have an everlasting rock. William Hendrickson says this insightful sentence. Anxiety has a debilitating effect on our lives and results from our loss of confidence and assurance. If we doubt, we assume the burden of worries and demonstrate lack of faith. It's debilitating. And we're demonstrating lack of faith. And When we assume these things and and allow ourselves to become anxious, we're losing confidence and assurance that we're really to have in God who is our everlasting rock. So, the cure for our anxiety um, is here before us. To humble ourselves, have an attitude of submission, casting our cares upon Him. Will you cast your cares upon the Lord this upcoming week? Many have... Weak faith, and they think, or, or some of us are control freaks. Oh, we, i gotta, I got to fix this problem, and I, I'm not going to release it until I can fix it type of thing, rather than casting it upon the Lord. Yes, we're to put feet to those things, but as far as the burden of how things are going to turn out, we cast that upon the Lord, trusting in His providence to work things out for good. All of us at times allow the various circumstances in our lives to make us anxious. Whether it's being late for an appointment, you can become anxious right there. Late for work, right? <sighs> you know, become anxious, that kind of thing. A uh, setback, You've, uh, you know, there's a phone call, there's a bill that's come in, there's an unexpected dental bill that comes in, and all of these things can make us anxious. And we can try to fix our problems only later to remember that our Father who cares for us ultimately is in control of these things. Thomas Halliburton, a Scottish preacher, was on his deathbed for some years, and one-third of his biography, the last bit, is his discourses from his deathbed, said this, very simple thing, just think of this. Think of a backpack. You know what a backpack is? You go hiking, and get this big thing on your back, right? The care, to carry care to bed is to sleep with a backpack on your back. So when you're going to bed... And you have all these concerns, and your mind's racing, and all of this stuff, just think of it as you're in this agony, like, there's a big backpack on my back. It's <laughs> I wonder I can't see. Take that backpack off and put those cares aside, trusting in the Lord to work everything out. Any final comments or thoughts? I know we raced through this. We were running a, a bit late. Um, any comments, contributions? I know I didn't say everything, I didn't say a lot of what I wanted to say, but uh, the purpose of this is just to get us thinking, to be in the Word, to have something else to think about as we go through this week. So let's pray. I'll close this in prayer. Father, forgive us when we are anxious. Forgive us for our pride at times, O Lord, and Lord, uh, teach us what submission truly is, not only to leaders within the church, but ultimately to all those in authority and even to one another. Lord, I pray that you would remind us of this cure of anxieties to cast our cares upon you while remaining humble under your mighty hand. Have your way with us, O God. Strengthen us, make us men and women of valor and nobility, that we would stand before a lost and dying world, that it would be evident that there's something different in us, that we're not fretting here and fretting over every little thing, because we have such confidence and assurance that our sovereign God is working all things for good. We thank you so much for this time. In Jesus' name, amen.